Voices that inspire the extended interview. My name is uh, Mark Ziegler, and I am a senior lecturer in the College of Business and also director of first-year experience programs for the College of Business. And that's what I do. At, at what institution do you do that at? At Florida State. <laughs> it's right down the road. It's this <laughs> big stadium and a fountain. So how many years have you been at Florida State? Uh, <laughs> Full-time, coming up in December, will be 30 years. Uh, but I was a graduate student from the fall of 87 until that. So I have been here since fall of 87, 35 years. So 35 years at Florida State University, you've seen a lot of change. In that time period, what would you say are some of the significant changes you've seen at FSU? God, there's so many changing students. The students are so much smarter. I don't know. I, I I sit around pondering this a lot. I don't know that they're smarter or they have more access to information when they're growing up, but they come in um, really knowing things that people used to not know. <laughs> I, would, I always tell them this in class and they look at me like, hush, grandpa. But we were walking along when I was in college. You'd say, da, 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 da. You have to ask a question of someone, you know, what year did that happen? You're like, I don't know. And you didn't know. You didn't answer it. They know. They look it up and then they read. And then if they don't know what it was when the person was asking, they'll read about it. So there's a, a worldliness that's a little bit different. The other thing um, that I've picked up on being at Florida State is Florida State really is a, like a, a national, international university. It felt to me when I first got here like a small, nice, sleepy Southern school. And I loved it. That's probably why I loved it. And it feels now like a real dynamic, outgoing, in the room where the decisions are made. Uh, that kind of, I mean, it, it just feels like a more alive place intellectually. That to it's, me. it's part of. The upper echelon of of critical thinking in the United States, it's contributing to that. I do. I do feel like it does. And it's it's very well respected everywhere I go. Uh, I always, I'm like Mike Brady and good friend of mine in college business. I wear a Florida State shirt whenever I travel. And you, you spend the entire day in conversations with people. Either they know someone who went to Florida State, their favorite aunt went to Florida State, they want their son to go to Florida State. You spend the whole day and it's it's always so – positive and how did y'all do it there and it's so well respected and they want to know about the athletics and they want to know about the magnet and they want to know about just different things that they hear about or read about that's happening at Florida State. Part of that is probably I'm older now and I'm more in tune with it and I've watched it but then also we're doing more of it now. That's how it feels to me. Yeah I I would agree. I mean I've I didn't grow up in Florida. I didn't go to FSU. I came here from California. I arrived in Florida in 95. Mm -hmm. So my husband got his PhD at FSU. So there was that connection. That's why he stayed in this area. But, um, you know, it's just watching FSU really come into its own has been not just the athletics, but just some of the the programs that they offer. Across, across the board. I've done work with the School of Theater. And once or twice a year, I go to New York and see former students in Broadway shows. You know, I went last summer and saw one in Music Man, a couple in MJ the Musical, one in Funny Girl. 
Um, now we've got two that are going to be in the um, Broadway uh, revival of um, Spam a Lot. Just heard about that, and uh, you know, it's but it's all it's the whole gamut. It's in the medical field; people are doing great things, and in the in business, I have former students that are doing really, really big things. Um, so it's a it's a it's a source of pride. It's one of the reasons when I finally started teaching and got going here, I thought, I don't want to leave. How how will I keep up with all these folks? And if they know where I am, then then I'll keep up with the story, and I won't extract myself from their narrative, and they can't get rid of me. And so I've been able to watch students arrive as freshmen, and th- and then do amazing things. I and I. I don't want to name drop, but like I had Sarah Blakely in class who invented Spanx. Yeah, she's sort of a well-known person now. Yeah, she was in a class, small group communication. I remember her arguing because she got a 97 on an exam and she wanted higher. I mean, she was boom, 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 boom. She was driven, but just also delightful and smart and quick, great sense of humor. And so sitting at home, 10 or so years after she'd graduated and I'm watching Oprah and they say, we want to introduce um, someone that's going to be on the national scene, uh, Sarah Blakely. And I went, that's our Sarah Blakely. And she gave a million dollars to Oprah's angel network, you know, just a a few years out of, out of Florida state. And um, just, and, and, but it's not just big stuff. It's, it's things like, uh, Students that meet in my class and now they have a baby and they're bringing the baby to the game this weekend. To me, that is a major life accomplishment on par with inventing Spanx. It may not be the world, way the world values it, but it's uh, people coming to Florida State, trusting us. They learn how to think. They learn about themselves. They learn social skills. They learn how to be a part of community. They meet someone. They fall in love. They want to have a child. They have a child and now they want to bring that child back to where they met. <laughs> That's the biggest reward I could ever have. And them texting me, we really want you to meet Bodie. We really want you to meet Bodie. And just thinking, I can't wait to meet Bodie. It seems to me, I'd love to talk to you a bit. You, this, this value that you play, you, the role, your career of working with students, of being a part of Florida State University and the role that you play as as a teacher, educator, friend, mentor, right. all these roles you play, this must be something that's core to your value of what brings you joy. Yes. You know, a lot of it, and I talk about this in class, I always try to get students to think about the, that first teacher that made a difference. And then not just think about them, but let them know. Let that teacher know. So when I think of first grade reading Miss Budner, and how she was just, and how I know that I'm doing what I do now because of Miss Budner. She said, she said to me one day, you know, you're a really good reader, and I called your mom, and I got some extra books here for you to take home. And I can remember that like it was yesterday, like, oh my gosh, I'm a good reader. And, and how even at that early, early age, those messages can chart where the, where a student ends up or not. And if you tell them in first grade, you're not very smart, you go to A4, little kids know that. And so they follow that. It becomes their script. 
I don't want to get too much into self-fulfilling prophecy and uh, um, symbolic interaction theory with George Herbert Mead. I don't want to get too theoretical, but so much of that makes sense. And so I always have people around me, all the way, like elementary, high school, college, graduate school, saying, "Here's what, here's where you'll be really good, and we want you to think about this." And so I want to find every student and find out what they can be good at, not just the cream of the crop, but the kids in the back that hates public speaking with a C. Like what, what are you, what can you be good at? You know, you're really good at sports. You love sports and you articulate yourself very clearly when you're passionately talking about a team. How can we make that into something that, that might be lucrative for you? And if they don't find what that is, just me keep asking the questions until maybe there a spark is lit. And I and I I just try not to give up on anybody. <laughs> it's tiresome. But the other thing I, I have said is once they're in the class, I'm not done. Like when that class is over and they graduate, I am here and I I can help you with a toast at your wedding. I can help you with the eulogy for your grandfather. I can help you with an award acceptance speech that you have to give. Please use me. This class does not end. Um, and it's just, I've, I'm amazed at uh, sort of the life I get to have. Tell me about that life. What, what do you love about your life? Uh, um, well, I, am, I love Florida State. <laughs> It's an unhealthy, I just am so proud of Florida State. And I'm so proud that I get to play a role. It goes, I've got, my memory is like an elephant's. And when I was a little kid, my mom and dad grew up in Perry, Florida. And both sets of grandparents were in Perry. And if I was really good, we would come to Tallahassee and we'd go to Gulf Mart. And they'd give me a dollar. And then if I was really good, they would drive by the campus. I just it to me it was like the Emerald City and they would drive by that stadium and I would just go, "Oh my gosh, look at look at that most beautiful place." And so when I drive on my way to campus now and I drive by the stadium or I drive by Westcott, I I still am that little kid wanting to be a part of that institution. And when I then stop and take a step back and realize that I am and I'm valued and I have a role to play, I, I, it just doesn't get any better than that. And the people calling me to do things like help recruit a football player or help recruit a softball player or speaking to a, a nursing class this afternoon or speaking to the RAs in a couple of weeks or speaking to the Freshman Leadership Institute at Student Government. Now, that, when you talk to them... What will you wanting? What will you be telling them? What will you be talking to the, them about? Credibility, credibility, passion, and the impact that you have on others every time you communicate with them. So I, I, I go back to like the old Greek classics, Aristotle, and so much of what we know, foundation for that is is in those those old writings and teachings. Um, but the main thing is for them to always maintain their credibility, become an expert in something, always be trustworthy, always have good energy, and have an ethical framework. And if you maintain that, you're going to be all right. 
But if you ever start fouling up in any of those areas, then there could be a problem. The other thing that I always try to say is what is your, when you interact with people, what is your intention? Um, and the intention, and I, this came from a conversation with a student about 15 years ago. Um, I'd gone through all this stuff. It's the last day of class, and this young man raised his hand. He said, Mr. Ziegler, do you have a bottom line? Like, you've, we've got piles of notes about all these different things. Like, can you boil it down to something easy to remember? And I said, yes, I can. The world is really hard, and you're going to face just awful things and great things. And as a human being, you have a chance to make things possible with others, for others when you interact with them. So whenever you interact with someone, here's what a good intention is, lighten the load. So if I'm working with a student and they're having a really bad week and I have an essay exam this week, I have an essay exam that's due uh, Friday at 5 and the student writes on Tuesday and says they're having a really bad week. Uh, I got. I can either say you've got three days. The exam is due Friday at five. I expect the exam to be in, or I can say, "Are you okay? Um, exam, not a big deal. Get it to me when you get it to me. It's okay. I just want you to make sure that you're all right. You're feeling all right. Your friends are all right. And if there's anything that I can do to help you with that, let me know. And I know that when you're okay, you'll get that exam to me. And they will. They always do. But I could say, oh, it's due at Friday at 5. It's not due. I will take points off. But here's what I always say. Unless I'm starting to grade that thing Friday at 5, it's not late Friday at 5, <laughs> right? It's late when I start grading it. So if it takes her till Monday or Tuesday to get that in, who cares? It's not even – I mean it's important to learn the stuff and to write and to think. But that's not the most important thing going on. So it's lighten the load. And I try to think about that every time I'm with with anybody. If I'm in line to get concessions at the at the game and there's people angry, it can, it, it's been an ongoing thing. But if you're in line to try to get something and like, we're really sorry we're out of popcorn or whatever, that's no big deal. Just bring me a Coke. Why would I why would I yell at a volunteer over popcorn? Or why would I be mean? to a server at Cracker Barrel? Or why would I be angry at a student who's five minutes late to class? I, I, I don't get it. I don't understand <laughs> that mindset. So what I hope is that if I do that, then what all those folks do is they get out there and they make their communities more accepting and easier to navigate. And and again, it, it for me, it comes from my dad was a Baptist minister, and I can just remember being with him and my mom, who was a kindergarten teacher, and everywhere we went, when I was a little kid and even, you know, grown up, people ran to them. Miss Ziegler, Reverend Ziegler, how are you? And I used to think, God, my parents are cool. Like, everyone likes my parents. And I can never, ever remember a time where I thought, Dad, stop that. You're embarrassing me. I was just proud. You know, I still feel the same about Mom. She's 85. She'll drive you nuts. But I still, like, when I take her somewhere, I'm like, gosh, she's the coolest. Um, 
and I and I would see dad, people would come to him with their concerns and their problems, and they would always leave feeling like they got a handle on it. He really didn't give a lot of advice. He listened. And he didn't go away, and he didn't judge, and he didn't any of those things. And so they would leave from that conversation. I mean, you can go back to the work of Carl Rogers as to how this happens. But once that person has been um, treated with unconditional positive regard, they've been listened to, their emotions have been validated, then what that person begins to believe is, I think I have an idea of about how I might address this problem or this concern. And it's always seemed simple to me, which is why I find the complexity of the world so bewildering. Just, you know, the last few days for me, just with what's going on in the Middle East, just I've been reaching out to my close friends from growing up that I know were, you know, would go on the birthright tour, the trip, and um, I was – Texting last night with Carrie, my best friend since kindergarten, and Carrie, I'm so sorry. You know, she takes her kids over to Israel all the time, and and it was, I thought I was just felt so good about what she said. She said, "I just feel so bad for all the women and children on all sides of this, what they're suffering," and she could have taken the hard line revenge, and it's coming. But she was like, all those women and children. And, and totally innocent of the politics. Right. They're just human beings caught in this just difficult o- situation. Over and over again. And so when there are major things like that, Sally Carrieth always uses this term, major episodes and minor events. A major episode is what happened in Israel over the weekend. A major episode is a tsunami. A major episode is losing your father. A minor event is there was no parking when I got to the office. You know what I say? Go earlier. Put on a podcast, drive around till you get a spot. You'll be there when you get there. But I don't let, as best I can, those little things just don't bother me. And so when a student is really afraid to tell me that their paper is going to be five minutes late or their printer ran out of ink or, you know, the, they lost the wireless signal. And I'm like, so get it to when you get your wireless signal back. I know you're fine. They're like, and they're so relieved. Oh, thank you. You're so nice. And I'm like, no, I'm not nice. Just why wouldn't you be that way? I, I, I just don't understand any other way to be. And what's interesting is from that, they become more responsible. If they're always afraid to make a mistake, then they don't learn anything. They're just, we're, we're making them into robots. But if they learn that it is okay to make a mistake and we come back stronger because of it and here's how we fix these things, and then they, they become resilient, you know? And that's what we want, resilient people. I would think. Who can own their mistakes and move on from them. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, we got, there's all kinds of issues with some of those kinds of things about how, um, a lot of times kids are not prepared to handle the stuff that comes their way because – and I don't want to get too much into it, but mom and dad keep running into the school to take care of things for them. Um, when I would get in trouble when I was a little kid, I got in more trouble at home. The teacher was right. Mom and dad worked with the teacher to make the school better. 
if the teacher said I got a C in handwriting, I needed to improve my handwriting. I never heard my parents say that teacher would no good handwriting if if they if it landed in their plate. No, it was like the teacher. Yeah. And and we're just now what we do is we just blame them for everything. Yeah. And we don't look in the mirror. No one looks in the mirror. What part do I play in what's going on here? And perhaps it's me. Perhaps it's not that school, but perhaps I'm not helping at home and I'm just trying to get them absolved of any responsibility. That's on me. That's not on the school. I better stop there. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you have this long time experience of working with students. You've seen them change over time. Parents more involved, less involved, the different dynamics. What keeps you inspired in the work that you're doing? I mean, I know that you feel a sense of pride being part of the institution, but like what what keeps you getting up every morning and doing this? It's the collegiality. It's being on the campus where there's always energy and young energy that I like. Uh, It's the chance to be in a classroom, an actual space with students that are asking questions and trying to learn, figure out who they are. That that's what fires me up. It's the fact that it's Florida State, and I get to drive onto campus and park, and it's Florida State. I I can't think of anything, of anything better than that. And I didn't go here undergrad. I mean, I went to Stetson, then I did a little stint at UF in graduate school, and um, I am telling you, if, if for my buck and for what I know about what this institution does, in front of the curtain and behind the curtain to ensure student success, I put it up against any institution in the country. The good people from top to bottom, good, good people that want everyone to succeed, not just students, but faculty and staff and, and want to be a part of the community there. I cannot say enough good about what Florida State does. I love it. That's great. I have one last question for you. What would you say to someone who's thinking about a career like you've had in higher ed, either being a teacher, professor, some right. aspect of higher ed? What do you – I mean, there's been a lot of pressure on higher ed of late. Yeah. Um, here's what I would say. It is a great life, but what higher ed needs to do before it becomes obsolete is start answering, so what? and articulating to the powers that be, the citizenry of our states, here's why we're doing this. And it starts in the classroom with instructors with the ability to explain to students, here's why we're studying this. I think very clearly of some of the professors I had at Stetson, Dr. Papacosta in physics, explaining why we were studying the moment of inertia. He didn't say here's what it is, but he said here's why this is important for the decisions that are made in the physical world that keeps us safe. Here's what this means. I can remember Dr. Barcolo having us read this essay that says, uh, ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny. And it's just blowing my mind because all of a sudden now I knew why I was learning how species evolved. And that if I looked at how a human zygote, a zygote evolves into a little baby that it's mirroring what we went through from little cells to 
grand species as they are that you watch from the cell, 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 you're seeing a big shot of how organisms evolved. And so I need to understand that because then I'll better understand like why the world is the way that it is and I'll better understand the animal kingdom. I was watching a, this morning a, a documentary, a BBC documentary about predatory animals. And freshmen all those years ago hearing Dr. Barkalow talk about Darwin, survival of the fittest, some of those other things, which for me was not in any way in conflict with my religiosity. And so when I see now that it's just all a combat, combative of wills, that's all we do, try to be right. I've always thought, just bring everything to the table, throw it in there, let's mix it up, and somehow we'll find little pieces of truths that will help us be better people. And so I don't, I get really, really frustrated um, with some of those, with some of those ideas. And again, dad was a Southern Baptist minister and taught me about Darwin. Golly, he wouldn't do it now, he wouldn't have a church. Yeah. Unfortunately, we we want to label everybody. Everybody's got to be in their lane. Can't think out of the box. No, and it's I love one of the things that's been great about College of Business is politically a lot of the folks in the college are different than the way I've been in a different department. I've learned so much. I'm not angry. I'm not thinking what is the matter with these Republicans. Now I'm thinking, God, they've got some really good ideas about things. And I was naive uh, to the financial field until I start being getting in some of these conversations about the way things work. And perhaps my short-sightedness about this or that needs to – I need to take a step back and consider maybe the bigger picture to better understand. So th- I get very, very frustrated with how we are we're, politically. Mm-hmm. We're, we're broken. Yeah, I can't hear each other. And we won't, we, we refuse to. It's hard. And, and how do you teach in that? Like how do you teach free speech and how do you teach public speaking and how do you, you know, with some of the things that people come to the table with? It's tough. you got to diffuse the anxiety and the tension right from the start before you can ever start working on it. So with students, do you see that? Is it tougher now? Oh, oh, yes, it is. But they're not as bad as the the adults' adults. Mm-hmm. Like we're much more tribal, I think, than we are on the college campus. College campus have a tendency to lean a little bit to the left anyway. But my experience is, is here's the way I, I've said this in class so many times, and it may seem contrite. I think that there's 15% of us on the far right and there's 15% of us on the far left, and the other 70% are sitting in the middle thinking, come on, guys, let's fix some things. Let's work on some things. All right, Mark, life on a college campus. Like from your perspective of being part of one for so many years and the students that you, you teach. I'll, we'll take it from the standpoint of a parent with a freshman. I want your freshman to be a happy young adult. And I want them to make some friends and I want them to go to their classes and I want them to work really hard and I want them to learn how to think and I want them to learn how to be a responsible member of the community. And that's why we're at FSU. And so when you send a student to us, make sure that 
they go to people and they ask questions. Make sure that they go and see the School of Theater Productions. Make sure that they go and listen to the debates. That they go to Wednesday market at the market day at the Union. That they go to special lecturers in the School of Communication or in the College of Nursing. That they go to religious and spiritual gatherings. That there's all this stuff that's laid out there can get so overwhelming, but just take a little bit each day of what FSU has to offer and then to have a good time, make good friends, you know, go to the parade, sing the fight song. I mean, it's okay to be, to drink the Kool-Aid, if you will, and to love your school. Um, and some, a lot of times in academia, we're, we're so critical, or we must be critical, but it's also okay to just let down your guard and just love being where you are, love being in that space and realizing that these four years will go by so fast you've only got one time to do it. So take a deep breath, learn what you can, and then just make it better while you're here. That's perfect. One final question for you. What are you most looking forward to? What am I most looking forward to? I used to be, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Right now, the game Saturday. I thought that might be what you would I say. I mean, and then the next week it will be the Duke game and the parade and friends coming into town. Go Knowles. Go Knowles. I will go to my grave thinking I cannot believe that I get to be at the school. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing just some of your experiences of being a part of Florida State University for so many years and having such an impact on so many students' lives. I appreciate the invitation. It's nice to meet you. I'm Mark Ziegler, and I'm passionate about Florida State, and I am passionate that I get to teach and be a part of this outstanding institution.